So I've got a problem. It's a big problem. It's not a new problem. It's a problem that shows up every year at this time. It started about two weeks ago. And it started when I climbed up the attic ladder and I got out the Christmas lights from last year, started to put them up and discovered that half of last year's Christmas lights don't work. Again. Last year we bought new Christmas lights because last year half the Christmas lights from the year before didn't work. Again. I remember as a kid before Christmas wanting to light up the Christmas tree and string the lights, but I had to wait for my dad to string out all the Christmas lights across the living room and down the hallway, taking out one bulb at a time so that he could fix last year's Christmas lights so that they could work again this year. My wife saw a Facebook post. Somebody asked, we can put a man on the moon. Why can't we make Christmas lights that work more than one year? If somebody knows where to buy the Christmas lights that work more than one year, Please see me afterwards because I'd love to go and buy those Christmas lights. In our desperation to solve this problem, uh, my son actually started Googling, you know, what do you do about broken Christmas lights? Because he feels the pain too. We found the Lightkeeper Pro. I don't know if anybody knows about the Lightkeeper Pro. It's this little gun that shoots an electric shock into the bulb socket. And it actually, it actually works. So you'll have, you know, half a strand of lights that's out and you shoot the little deal and, and most of them come back on. It's resolved a lot of our problem, I have to say. It's, it's, it's been a good tool. Hasn't solved it entirely because there'll still be six or eight lights on the strand that mysteriously, stubbornly, you know, sort of demonically won't light. And that's a problem. You can get the Lightkeeper Pro for $24.99 at Hobby Lobby right, right down the street if, if you've got the same problem I have. So we're talking about light entering darkness this Christmas season. If you were at Lessons and Carols last night, we talked a lot about this idea that God from creation had a plan to break into the darkness of non-existence through creating a world where he would redeem people for himself. And he chose to break into the light of a dark, sinful, fallen world by sending Jesus as the light of the world. And we can receive that light and be transformed. We can be changed. But we've got to be convinced that that light is truly powerful enough to change us, don't we? Many of us would give a testimony today of being a follower of Jesus, uh, putting our faith and trust in him, living our life according to his ways and his teaching. But we could tell a story of how at one time we were really skeptical about that. We just weren't convinced that the light of Jesus could do something about the darkness in our lives. We had to come to a place where, where we were convinced that Jesus was more powerful than Christmas lights. He was something that could really be a reliable light, a reliable guide, a reliable source of life for us personally. Some of us are here and we're still asking that question. We're still wondering, is Jesus truly powerful enough to address the particular darkness that I'm experiencing in my life? Is he truly powerful enough to answer the questions that I have? that I've never been able to find the answer to. Some of us have been following Jesus and and really kind of doing the best that we can, but we still have nagging questions because we know there are pockets, there are shadows of darkness in our own heart and mind, maybe that nobody knows about in the world. And we come wondering, 
Is the light of Jesus really powerful enough to dispel those shadows of darkness? I think if we're honest, we're all bringing one question or another this morning with us about truly how powerful is the light that's offered in Jesus Christ. And the good news is we're not the only ones who have wrestled with these questions. In fact, the passage from the Gospel of John that we're going to look at this morning, very familiar passage, is one where John is addressing that very question. So I'll invite us to turn back to John chapter 1. It's the passage that David read for us a little bit earlier. And I'm going to back us up and start in the verses that preceded. This is where Mike was last Sunday morning when he was introducing this series um, in John chapter 1. And it begins with this framing of where Jesus came from. And it frames what I'm going to look at this morning and I'm going to suggest to us is the fundamental problem that we all need to address. It's this fundamental question that we need to resolve if we're going to take a next step and truly stepping into the light that is Jesus Christ. So I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. John chapter 1 and verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, And the darkness has not overcome it. I'm going to stop there and notice this phrase that John ends with. John 1, 5, famous verse, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Why did he need to say that? If the light is so powerful, emanating from God, the creator of the universe, why make the statement that the light was not overcome by the darkness? I think it's because John, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing these words from God, knew that we needed to be convinced that the light would not be overcome by the darkness of the world. If you fast forward to the end of the Gospel of John, John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, John talks about why he wrote this Gospel that we're reading the beginning of. And he says it's to to persuade people that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and in him there is life. So John's writing this book, and imagine if you were writing a book or a letter or an essay to persuade someone to believe a particular way, you would be wise to begin by addressing the issues that would prevent someone from believing. And I think that's what John has done. His case is to help us believe Jesus Christ is the light of the world, the Son of God. In him there is life. But first we've got to believe and we've got to see that there is a darkness in the world that's not too powerful for the light that is Jesus Christ. We live in a world where darkness appears to have overcome the light. That's really our problem, isn't it? We live in a world where darkness appears to have overcome the light. It appears to be the exact opposite situation that John is declaring. And so when we come to this and we hear what John is saying, that's kind of what we're bringing with us. Because when we look around us and we look honestly at the society around us, the world around us, and when we look honestly even at our own hearts, much of the time we see more darkness than we do light. And so we come to the Bible and we go, you know, I'm just not sure. 
because we live in a world where darkness appears to overcome the light. And so John sets out to address this problem. And I think he begins right away in this section that follows this great declaration. So let's look there at verses 6 through 8. It's, it's the first sort of subsection that comes. And it says this, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all may believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So if you're, if you're new to the Bible at all, there's two Johns that we've been introduced to right away. One is John the Apostle who's writing this book, and the other is John who he just refers to. That's John the Baptist. And if you continue in the book of John, John the Baptist was really the last of the prophets before Jesus Christ, and he was sent with a particular mission to declare that the Messiah was coming. Last night at Lessons and Carols, we talked about this promise of a Messiah through all of the Old Testament. And John the Baptist was the one who said, the time has come, the Messiah has arrived. He had a preparatory mission as a prophet. That's John the Baptist. And he's called the Baptist because he baptized those who were repenting and believing that the Messiah was coming. They believed the prophecy of John and they were being baptized for the repentance of their sins to receive this coming Messiah. They were ind- indicating their faith in anticipating the coming of the Messiah. So there's John the Apostle who's writing. There's John the Baptist who is this messenger of preparation. And so the purpose for John the Baptist's coming, John tells us, is that all might believe through him or through his preaching. That everyone who hears John the Baptist, and he's preaching primarily to the Jewish people, That they would say, yes, we believe the Messiah is coming. We want to ready our hearts for this. But there's a problem even in that. If the purpose of John coming is that all would believe through him, well, we can see through the rest of Scripture, didn't take that long to see, not everyone did believe through him. Many say most, even of the people of God, the Israelites, did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah and even resisted him and eventually put him to death. So John's purpose was that all would believe through him, but yet not all did. But John has told us that the light was not overcome by the darkness. And so there we see a problem because it sure looks like the darkness has overcome the light before it's even gotten out of the lamp. Now, to be fair, we'll back up and and say that John's purpose, his message, even though not all believed in him then or even all believe in God now, you could read this passage through a spiritual lens, which I think is the way we need to read Scripture, through a spiritual lens, and that is that everyone who believes in Jesus, you or I or anyone else in history, believes in part because John prepared the way. So John, in a, in a spiritual way, was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. So all who have come to Jesus have, in essence, received John's message. And so ultimately, in, in, a, in an eternal sense, his message was not unfulfilled. His mission was not unaccomplished. But surely on the surface, the ministry of John the Baptist that all would believe was not accomplished. And so we still need to be convinced that the light is powerful enough not to be overcome by the darkness. And this gets further complicated because Jesus, or John was introducing the ministry of Jesus, and by the time he's writing this, what had happened to Jesus? 
He had been crucified. The light of the world promised by the Messiah to come and bring God's kingdom had been crucified and was no longer ministering. And so the skeptic would look at this and say, are you, are you kidding me? The light's not powerful to overcome the darkness. The darkness has absolutely overcome the light. The majority did not believe John's message, and Jesus the Messiah was, in fact, crucified. But the text is quick to tell, to tell us that John the Baptist was not the light. It goes on to show who the light is. Verse 9 says, The true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And so this helps. This helps, right? Because if, if we're not convinced because of John the Baptist's message or we're, or we're further questioning the power of the light to overcome the darkness, the text tells us John the Baptist was not the light. He was only preparing the way for the light. He was only the messenger of the light. But the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. That's where the power is. And, and it's interesting the way that light is used in this verse. We, we see the true light at the beginning. And it harkens back to the light reference uh, in verses 4 and 5. Where the life of God is in the light. Light in that sense is really the revelation of spiritual life of eternal life, that's what's revealed by the light of Jesus Christ. It's, it's spiritual enlightenment. That's where we get the phrase, I see the light. It's not a physical reference. It's a spiritual reference to receiving the life of God that comes through the light of Jesus Christ or the word as he's identified at the beginning of this chapter. So that first reference, the true light, is this spiritual enlightenment light. And it says the true light gives light to everyone, and it was coming into the world. And so when you read what, what sort of scholars have to say, who understands sort of the original language of these things, and they see these two uses of the word light right next to each other, uh, they'll tell you that there's really two different things being referred to. There's that revelatory light, the true light, and then there's a light that's exposing everyone in the world. You could read this, this verse to say, the true light shines on everyone and it exposes who they are and where they are in terms of their relationship to God. And so the verses that follow really kind of show what this light is revealing. The light of Jesus shines on you, shines on me, shines on the world, and it exposes where we are in relationship to God. So let's see what this light is revealing. And I think this is what John wants us to see. So the true light, back to verse 9, which gives light to everyone who's coming into the world. Verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He was in the world, the world was made through him, and yet the world didn't know him. And so when the true light, Jesus Christ, shines on the world, exposing where the world is, we see that the world did not recognize him. They didn't recognize their own creator. That was true when John wrote these words a couple thousand years ago, and we could absolutely say that it's true today. And when we come back to this question about which is more powerful, the light or the darkness, we look around at the world and we see a very dark place. And, and the light of 
Jesus shining on it, sort of exposing it and, and revealing it, confirms that to be true. Why is the world a dark place? Because it hasn't recognized the light of the world. Even though Jesus Christ, the creator of the world, came into the world, his message has been spreading throughout the world, yet it remains most of the world is a very dark place who has not recognized Jesus. And you can take recognize in a couple of senses as well. When we recognize someone or we don't recognize someone, we don't understand who they are. That's, that's a lack of recognition, and that's true for much of the world, not understanding or perceiving who Jesus is. But there's a second sense of recognition that sort of gives honor or validation to what is. We don't recognize Jesus for who he is. Sure, we see him, we acknowledge him, but we don't honor him for who he is. And this is really the condition of the world, and it's why there's darkness in the world. And when we compare it to the light of Jesus, we're all the more convinced there is a darkness in the world because they have not recognized the light. And so culture is drifting. Families are disintegrating. Temptation is overwhelming. Why is the world a dark place? It hasn't received the light. And if we come back to our initial question and we're wrestling with taking that next step of faith, that next step of trust and commitment to Christ, we're seeing a lot of darkness, aren't we? We're seeing that John's message didn't accomplish what it would appear that he was seeking to accomplish. We're looking around the world and we're seeing a lot of darkness that has not overcome the light. And yet still, what we're called to believe is that light has entered the world and the darkness has not overcome it. So there must be more. There must be more to the story. So we press on and we're looking for more to the story. Look in verse 11. Not only did he come to the world, but he came to his own. Jesus Christ came to the Israelites, his own people. That was his heritage. That was his descendants. It was the people that were looking for a Messiah to come. And what does it say? His own people did not receive him. The world didn't recognize him. We can kind of understand that, right? There were lots of nations in the world at that time. There are lots of nations in the world at this time who follow all kinds of other gods. And so they didn't recognize Jesus. We can grasp that. But Jesus came to his own people who were looking for a Messiah. He came fulfilling the prophecies that the Israelites looked to, and yet even they did not receive him. And yet still we're called to believe that the light would not be overcome by the darkness. In the context of the Israelite people, they didn't receive the Messiah. They didn't believe he was the fulfillment of what the prophets had told. Some did, but many, yes, most did not. And I think it's not too much of a stretch to put us in that category who consider ourselves to be the people So if you're here this morning and you're like me, you consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus. One of the people of God began with the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. It was extended out and people from all nations around the world were invited to be part of the people of God. We have believed that message. We have staked our life on this belief. We have faith and we would consider ourselves to be, and rightly so, among the people of God. 
And yet, I'm struck at how much I have yet to truly receive the light in my own life. I'll give you an example. I've been reading a lot here lately about prayer. And there's just this nagging discontent in my spirit uh, that's been there for maybe, I don't know, a year, year and a half that I don't, I don't think I really know how to pray in the way that other people that I interact with or read about know how to pray. Oh, yes, I believe in prayer. I'm aware of prayer. I pray in the way that, that most of us pray. And there's some level of commitment to it. And yet there's this, there's this nagging sense that there's so much more. When I read about Jesus' life of prayer and the time that he spent with the Father, there's something there that's more than I've experienced. There's more there than I've sort of received into my experience. So I started reading uh, different authors on uh, how to pray and disciplines of prayer and, and how to think differently about prayer so that, so that my awareness about prayer might sift its way down into my heart where I would begin to make it more and more of a priority in my life, that it would become more of a language of communication between God and me, that it would be less one way, me asking God for stuff that I want, and more of a listening relationship that I would learn to not just talk to God, but listen to God so that I might be truly transformed by this relationship that the light has offered me with God. And what's convicting to me, what, what really is that sort of sore spot in my gut is that I really haven't received the gift of prayer in the way that it's offered. And then I put myself in that initial question I asked, why not? And if I'm real honest, it's because I'm not at my core convinced that that light is going to overcome the darkness. Sure, I believe it here, but our actions speak louder than our words, don't they? So I need to receive the truth of Jesus in in a deeper, more soul-shaping way in the way that I pray. Some of you are great prayers and and, and you live in this life of relationship and so it's something else for you. I wonder what is it? I wonder if there's something that's nagging in your spirit today that you brought with you that sometimes you think about, sometimes you push away, but it's just there. And, and, And it's something that you're just not stepping into the light. Because the darkness seems too powerful. You just haven't been willing to receive the truth about the light. And I think John would invite us to step into that. To see that the light can and will overcome the darkness. No matter how potent the darkness may seem. Either in the world or even in our own spirit. So both the world and God's people have the same problem. We fall prey to the darkness because we fail to see the true light. I'm going to bring us back to verse 9. 
and highlight that first use of light. What does John mean when he says the true light? I think he means it in two different senses. The light of Jesus Christ is true in that it's genuine. It's not a false light. And and I think some of us, in an effort to overcome the darkness in our lives, go to something like a false light light. Something that looks like it's going to shine the way forward in a good way, but actually does not. It it really does the opposite and it reinforces the darkness. So we do things that are immoral to sort of help us feel better, or we do things that are are sort of cheating our way. Maybe maybe we, we skimp on being entirely honest in business to try to get ahead because we think getting ahead will bring us some some kind of light that would would resolve some of the darkness in our lives. We chase false lights of all kinds that are not the true light. I think there's another sense uh, that the true light is that it's the ultimate light. Not only is it the genuine light as opposed to a false light, but it's the ultimate light as opposed to lesser lights that, that, that are not ultimately the true light. And we do that too, right? We chase lesser lights all the time. We chase hobbies, we chase careers, we chase sports, we chase reputation, things that are not bad, but they occupy our thinking. And we, we openly and freely receive these kinds of lights, don't we? We hear messages uh, in advertisement and online and from friends and family members and from our own sort of rationalization that says, run to this light, run to that light, run to the other light. You see the darkness, you don't like the darkness, you want some light in your life. Here's a lot of different light for us. And we receive these kinds of lights, but just like the world, sometimes we miss the true light because we're chasing things that just aren't genuine or aren't ultimate. And in a way, sort of overpressing the analogy, but we're kind of like chasing bad Christmas lights. You know, you think about these different things that we chase in our lives that, that we want to get sort of a glimmer of light, that we want to um, improve our situation or, or whatever it is that we're looking for. Um, they're about as powerful as, as a bad strand of, of Christmas lights. And they last about as long as, as a strand of Christmas lights as well. So we're looking for what is that true light. And we come to verses 12 and 13, and this is where the hope really emerges. The darkness has been made clear to us. Where is the light? Verse 12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So even though the world did not receive the light, and and it sure appeared that the darkness of the world was too much for the light to overcome, and and even though God's people did not receive the light, and, and it appeared that their unbelief or lack of faith or our unbelief and lack of faith is too much for the light to overcome, there were some who did receive the light. And verse 12 tells us those who received him, who believed in his name, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And that's really what Jesus Christ is, the Son of God. The passage that's about to follow this one, where Mike is going to take us next week, 
reveals to us Jesus, the Son of God, in all of his glory. And it harkens back to those opening verses that tell us where Jesus came from. He came from the eternal God. He was with God in the beginning, and he, in fact, was God. And when we see him stepping into the scene of earth, he's coming as the Son of God with the glory of his Father. And that's the gift for all who will receive and believe in Jesus Christ, the light of the world, is the right to become a child of God. And that's an interesting idea, isn't it? That we would become a child of God and and that that would really sort of become our identity. I've really wrestled with that one too uh, because we, we tend to find our identity in so many different things and yet becoming a child of God according to scripture, especially in the gospel of John, is really the fundamental identity that's being offered to someone who receives and believes in the light, who receives and believes in Jesus Christ. It's that we would understand ourselves fundamentally more than in any other way, a child of our father in heaven. In much the same way that a child here on earth, when they're young, finds their identity in their parents. One of my favorite things in life is coming home at night, and my my younger ones who are at home still do this. The older ones are getting, you know, they're getting too independent. But the, the younger ones still come up and will say, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. Because their identity, that they're most sort of shaped by is the relationship with their parents. And God bless mom. She's at home and they see her a lot. And so they're excited to see dad. But but when, when children are young and we were all this way, we were all young once. Some of you might remember being, being young once. And we found our identity in mom and dad. Mom or dad, whatever that figure was in our life. If you've got kids, you've seen that same relationship. And there's something like that that God offers us, that that whatever is going on around us, whatever darkness we're navigating through, I'm a child of God. And who I am to my core is in relationship to him. And we learn what that means We learn to think in that lens. We learn to feel. We learn to not get swayed and tossed all around because our unchanging father is ultimately where our identity rests. Now, that's a big idea. You know, talking in identity terms, it might be like, huh, I I hear that. I like that. I don't know that. So it's a lifetime of sort of receiving and receiving and receiving again, isn't it? And that's really what I'm here to persuade us about this morning, is that whatever darkness we see, whatever darkness we feel or are experiencing, we can receive the light of Jesus Christ in increasing measure that will transform us as children of God. When we become a child of God, we got a lot to learn. When kids come into this world, they've got a lot to learn. And just because we haven't learned it yet doesn't mean that the light is not more powerful than the darkness. And so as we come into this Advent season, I'm preaching to me as well as to you, let's be convinced that the light of Jesus can dispel every shadow of darkness in our lives and around the world. And let's take steps of faith that maybe we've been a little hesitant to take. Let's lean in in a way 
that receives more of that light and let it just shine. Let it shine in our hearts and learn what that means to live as a child of God. Notice these last words in verse 13. It kind of unpacks this challenge of learning as we go. He gave those who who believed in his name the right to become children of God. They were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So verse 13, he, he really kind of unpacks this idea that when you become a child of God, it's nothing to do with earthly things. It's not a worldly birth. It's being born of God and receiving this life that's in him because that's really what it all comes back to. And you go back to John 1, 3. In the light was life. And that life is the light of men. That's really what we're after. That's why John wrote the gospel. He says, I want to persuade you to believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And that in receiving him, you might find life. There's abundant life. John 10, 10, Jesus said, I've come in this world that you may have life and you might have it abundantly to the fullest. There's eternal life. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. So there's an abundant life today. There's an eternal life tomorrow as a child of God for all who will receive him. So if you're still in that question, I see the darkness and I'm just not convinced that the light can overpower it. I would invite you today to try it, to receive the light and invite it into the darkness of your own life. Believe what John would persuade you of. Look around. There there are a lot of us in this room who have been at this for a long time, receiving light, not perfectly, but but increasingly growing in this understanding of life with God. And that can be yours too. I know that's hard to believe for some of us. We look around and say, that's good for other people, but it's just not good for me. But let's believe what God has told us this season. Let's let the light of the world permeate our darkness today. And, And if you're in that boat where we're just sort of wrestling with seeing the different shadows of darkness in our own life, wrestling with what we see around us. And there's something that's nagging at your spirit, like prayer is nagging at mine. Let's receive the light and, and, and let that awareness of what that thing is be something that we ponder on, that we meditate, that we, that we really move into the rhythm of our life so that we might receive that transformation that Jesus Christ can give us. And and let's let this Advent season be a time where the light enters that darkness as well. So I'm gonna pray for us wherever you are that the light of the world would shine on you this Christmas. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do look around and we see darkness around us. But there is a light that is so much more powerful than that darkness. And it emanates from you in Jesus Christ that we're celebrating this season. And I pray, Lord, that you would open each heart 
to receive more of the light that you would shine on us, in us, through us, that we would receive you, believe in you, and then in turn become a light just like Christ that would shine your truth to those around us. Would you do that work in us today and in this season? In Jesus' name, amen.